If you've been with us, we actually are finally to chapter 6 in the book of Ephesians, which is the last chapter. Okay? First three chapters deal with doctrine, give you a good solid foundation. Next three chapters, 4, 5, and 6, deal with practical application. We've talked about chapter 1, dealing with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and their role in your salvation. Um, chose you, adopted you, redeemed you, forgave you, sealed you. We got to chapter 2, we talked about the idea that, that you are saved by grace through faith. Um, and that is, you cannot earn or work your way to heaven. We talked to chapter 3, which says difficult things come to Christians. Um, God does that so that Christ can be seen in us to a world that desperately needs him. We get to chapter 4, and Paul talks about the idea that you've got to change the way you think. Um, The Gentile world thinks a certain way, and as Christians, you don't think that way. I don't think that way. We're not supposed to think that way. We're supposed to think differently because of Christ. We get to chapter four, 5, and he talks about how we walk as Christians. And he talks about we walk in love, we walk in light, we walk carefully, knowing that the world is watching. And he gets to the end of chapter 5, and he talks about this idea of learning to walk filled with the Spirit of God. And we, I talked about that with the ping pong balls and, and the idea that, that we allow God to, to, to be a major part of our life every single day. And it's a daily decision. Of, of following and honoring God with our lives. And then we got into the practical application, and Paul starts talking about the idea that fundamental is the idea that we submit to one another. We focus on Christ. We focus on the other person. It's not about us. And last week, we talked about the difficult deal of husbands and wives, um, when Paul talks about the roles for husbands and wives, and he talks about what we ought to do. This morning, we're going to talk about children and parents, and next week, we're going to talk about employees and employers. Because, again, the Bible is incredibly practical. And um, Paul's going to remind us of, of that. And then we're going to end up when Paul talks about the idea of, you need to understand, this is a spiritual battle. And, and, and Satan is at work, and you've got to be ready for that spiritual battle. So this morning, it's children and it's uh, parents. So let me give you a little background before we get started so that you have a concept of being a child in an early Palestinian world um, that we're talking about. In modern Palestine today, in the Jewish world, if you got married, what you would sometimes find when you got to your house after your honeymoon or whatever else is, as you got to the door of your house, on the threshold of your door, you would find a pomegranate. And that pomegranate would be split open and it would be laying there. And, and that is a Jewish-Palestinian idea that says this, It is our prayer, it is our desire, it is our goal for you to have lots of kids. As many as a pomegranate does. And if you've ever seen a pomegranate and all those seeds, you get the concept, all right? That was the concept that that these people have because children were considered an incredible blessing. To not have children was considered either a curse or God was upset with you. And so I'm not saying that's the way it is, but I'm saying that's how they interpreted it. Um. Unfortunately, this, in, in that culture, what you need to understand is the health of a family was measured by the amount of sons that they had. Because if you had sons, what that meant is, first of all, your family name would carry on. Secondly, what it meant was that you could have more crops or more animals because there were more people to take care of it. Daughters, unfortunately, were considered an economic liability. They were going to cost you money. Um, in fact, when they got married... Um, That was about the only beneficial time for you is they would get a dowry. You would get a dowry for them. Um, And and so in in some cases. So so unfortunately in that culture, you need to understand that that 
boys were more valuable in that culture, in that mindset that, that this passage is written. You should also understand that, by the way, that's the incredible thing about Christianity is it elevates both instead of focusing on one. But um, also in that culture, what you need to understood that was that when a child was born, um, often it would be nursed to about the age of three. Uh, what would happen is at that point then they would start uh, teaching, they would wean the child at about three, and that child would be taught. Now, it's not until about the mid uh, first century, 60, 70 AD, that a formal education system comes into the Jewish world. So up until then, a child learned at the feet of the parents. They learned um, predominantly in an oral environment. There wasn't a, a, a rote memory kind of thing. So you would teach your kids the, I mean, it's not the ABCs, but you understand what I'm saying, the ABCs and one, two, threes and all of that. You would teach them that in, in, in home, that was predominantly mom's job until the child got to about, um, well, it was mom's job. If you were a girl, it was mom's job the whole time, okay? If you were a boy, at about the age of six or seven, you would then start hanging with dad. Dad then be, kind of became the big influencer of your education ideas. So you learned everything from dad. Uh, often you would learn a trade, the rabbis taught this. If you did not teach your child, if you did not teach your son a trade, you were teaching your child to be a thief. So they believed very strongly in this idea of, of learning how to be a, be a tradesperson. Well, when you look at the life of Jesus Christ, it's significant, I think, that we know, we know very little about Christ's life for the first 30 years. But for 30 years, he would have worked um, hand in hand with Joseph um, uh, in, in that trade, which at that time was either being a woodworker or I think probably more, prob more probable a stone worker um, in, in that area of Nazareth. But uh, um, what happens is Jesus would have learned that trade. He would have learned about business. He would have learned all of those kinds of things at the, at the, at the feet of Joseph, uh, which that in itself is just a mind-boggling concept that God was going to have to learn how to do business. I mean, that's just... But anyway, um, it, it, what happens is he's the God-man, and so... Uh, he would have learned those kinds of things. Uh, what happens is, as, as that child grows, the way they would learn is this. It, it was oral, so they would tell a story, and then they would ask the child to tell the story back to them, and then they would ask the child questions. So it was a, it was a very oral tradition as far as growing up, and you see that with Jesus. Have you ever noticed when Jesus tells a story that people always ask questions? Or Jesus would ask them questions. That was the mode of learning then. It was oral and it was very story-oriented. Um, and I think it's a great and effective way to learn. So that's what you have in that culture okay, of, uh, that, that Paul is writing to it. Um, so let's, let's jump into the passage. Ephesians chapter 6. And I, actually, I'm going to look at verse chapter 5 at the end because this is the preference to all these sections is, uh, and further submit one another out of reverence for Christ. We've talked about that idea, that we submit one to another because of Christ, and we serve other people. It's not about us. Ephesians chapter 6, here's what he says. Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord. This is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you. And you will have a long life on the earth. So the first thing he does is he talks right off the bat to children. So let's understand a couple of things. These are people, 
young, young kids who have the capacity to understand. So we're not dealing with infants here. We're talking about kids who can learn what it's like to obey and to not obey. Okay? And notice he deals with two things. He deals with actions and attitudes. He Actions, what does he say? Obey your parents and the Lord. Uh, or obey your parents. Um, obey is a military term. It means to put yourself in rank under. It means to obey the one that has rank over you. Uh, it means to do what they tell you to do. So right off the bat, he looks at children and he says this. He says, okay, listen, kids. Um, you need to learn to obey. You need to learn to do what you're told to do. We're going to talk about the importance of that in a second. And then he gives you a second idea. You need to honor them. Um, Now, this is one of the commandments. um, Honor your father and mother. Um, And and we'll talk about this section of honor. Honor has a Hebrew idea. The Hebrew idea is this. It has the idea of weight or glory. uh, Weight. Um, Weight, heavy. Uh, When it talks about Jesus, um, it has the idea of glory. So, he, so in other words, what he's saying is, here's the attitude that you need to have towards your parents. You need to have, have an attitude in which you give them a lot of weight or credibility for what they're telling you. You give them, if we're talking about Christ, you give them glory. You focus on honoring, putting them up and saying, yes, because you said it, I will pay attention to it. I will pay more attention to it than any other adult. So there's both attitude and action that come with this idea. Um, and, then, and, and here's what he says. He says, with this idea of honor, he says, this is the first commandment with a promise. And he's going back to the Ten Commandments. What you need to understand about the Ten Commandments is the first four deal with God, the last six deal with man. Okay? The one in the middle is the idea of honor. And honor actually is the hinge on all of those. Because here's what he's saying. You think about it for a minute. If I have no other gods before me, what have I done? I've honored God. If I don't steal, what have I done? I've honored the rights of somebody else who has something that I don't. So honor is kind of this hinge on which the four dealing with God and the six dealing with man kind of hinge. Honor is kind of part of the foundational part of obeying all of these. This is what he's saying. He's saying, look, and it's a command with a promise. And he gives you two promises. He said, first of all, things will go well. Kids, you have any problem understanding this? When you obey and honor mom and dad, things go well. Is this new to you? When you don't honor mom and dad, things don't go well. And, notice what he says, and you will have a long life on the earth. I think this is just a practical implication of this thing. Okay? And I'm going to tell you why. Because what he's dealing with here, and when we get to applying this, we're going to talk about this. What he's applying here is this idea of, look, kids, listen to me. Kids, particularly teenagers. If you're a teenager, hey, guys in the back, teenagers. Well, i got teenagers. You know, sometimes they get in a little world back there, so it's easy for me to forget them. Okay. Every teenager in here, hear me. Hear me. How you deal with authority will determine what kind of life you have. Okay? And you know where you learn at the earliest foundation how to deal with authority? Mom and dad. If you can learn it now, 
Your life will be better, and it will be long-er than it would if you don't get this. Because you will pay the price for things that in some cases will shorten your life. No question about it. No question about it. How you deal with authority is laying the foundation from here to the day you die. And you need to get that. And your attitude of, well, I can't wait till nobody tells me what to do, is the very attitude that will make your life hard, difficult, and short. Because here's what you're going to find. Somebody is going to be telling you what to do for the rest of your life. Do you know I can't legally build something on my property without getting somebody to say, we're going to allow you to do that. I got to get a permit. Do you know that when I get in my car, I can't drive as fast as I want to drive? I mean, I can. We'll talk about that in a second. I have, all the way home, I have these little signs that tell me, you can't drive over the speed limit. I can't get, I cannot get 500 feet from this building without being told what to do. Stop. For the rest of your life, people are, and when I hear teenagers go, oh, I can't wait till nobody's telling me what to do. I'm like, you are living in la-la land. As soon as you can learn to submit to authority and obey authority and honor authority, the better your life is going to be. That's what Paul's saying. It's a foundational principle. Then Paul talks to dads in specific, parents in general, and here's what he says. Notice what he goes on to say. Verse 4, fathers. He specifically addresses fathers. It's a very specific word. It applies to parents, but he specifically addresses fathers, and I think there's a reason for that. Don't provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Bring them up, gives you two commands, two things you are to do, discipline and instruction, that comes from the Lord. Now, let me explain to you why this was a radical principle when Paul wrote this in Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesus was a community that was influenced by the Roman world. In the Roman world, when a child was born, here's what would happen. They would bring the child out. They would present the child. So let's say, um, uh, oh, is this a coat? Oh, okay, can I borrow your coat? Okay, we're going to make this a child, okay? They would bring the child out, and they would present it. (laughs) Disobedient child. Um, No, they would present the child to the father. The father had three choices. The father would pick that child up and embrace it, and when, the child, and when the father did that, he was saying, I accept responsibility for this child. His second option in the Roman world was to look at that child and say, I don't want it. Give it to somebody else. Let somebody else take care of it. I don't want anything to do with that child. His third option was to walk away and let that child die on its own, exposed to the elements. Abortion is not new. Okay. That was the three choices a Roman had when a child was born to him. 
accept it, reject it, or abandon it. When Paul writes to these people, he says, Fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath. In other words, he exalts this idea of fatherhood as something that's far more important than just simply rejecting a child or whatever else. So he's telling Christian people, fathers, look, be careful here. If you're not careful because you can tend to be so overbearing in the way that you treat your children, you can provoke them. And literally the idea is provoke them to um, anger. The idea is to push them towards rebellion. To actually encourage them in the rebellion because you have continued to isolate them and push them farther and farther away. And he says, fighters, look, you don't do that. You don't, you don't provoke them to anger in the way that you treat them. And again, this is in a Roman world that the way you could treat a child is just to abandon it. And, and Paul says, no, you're held to a much higher standard as a believer. And he says, be careful about that. He says, because you have a job to discipline them and to instruct them. Your goal is to discipline, and that has a negative and a, con- and a positive idea. Negative, you set up boundaries that they're not allowed to cross, and there's consequences when they cross those boundaries. In a positive way, you help them to deal with life in such a way that they understand that in some situations they need to give it time. They need to develop the discipline to wait. This is one of the concerns I have for our culture right now. We have an instant culture, and we give kids things instantly. And our kids know nothing of waiting for something. Our kids know nothing of layaway. Seriously. Our kids know nothing. This week, my wife was going through a bunch of drawers and cleaning stuff out, and she got in one of those moods and modes and started whatever. And so she comes into my office, and she goes, look what I found. There are two rolls of film from a cruise that we took at our, what, 20th, 25th anniversary, 10 years old. Okay? And I said, I have no idea what's on those. I said, but I'm going to develop them. I said, there may be a picture of you in a bikini on there. I said, I'm going to develop these babies, you know. That wasn't going to happen. But anyway, you know, she she went like, she was like, no, that ain't on here. I'm like, okay, whatever. So I said, you know what? I said, I'm going to go get the develop. I took them to Sam, and I walked into the girl. I'm not even thinking. I walked into the girl, and I said, hey, do you guys develop this stuff? She looked at this like it was a three-eyed monster. She had no idea what it was. She starts looking over at the sign, which talks about they convert pictures to DVDs and stuff like that. She goes, I'm not so sure. And I went, look, if that's what you think this is, you have no clue. So I go into Harold's, and they're like, oh, yeah, sure, we develop them. You know, and I'm like, okay, good, somebody that understands ancient technology. Um, but, but, you know, I mean, it's, it's this, I don't know how I got there. Uh, but anyway, it, it's just this, this concept of, of, of discipline, of waiting for something. Because you remember when we used to take pictures? Remember how long you had to wait? And you remember you get the film back or the pictures back and you figured you had a setting wrong and all the pictures were ruined? You know, kids are going, what? What are you talking about? Just ask your parents to show you an old camera. Um, and, and, and like I said, because why? We had to wait for stuff. Man, we get, in a, we get in a line at McDonald's and they'd say, will you please pull up? We'll bring it out to you. We're fit to be tied. 
And he's saying, you need to bring up kids that need to learn to wait for some stuff. The, the discipline that it takes to learn that you don't get everything immediately. And you need to instruct them. You need to guide them. You need to help them prepare. Psalm talks about it this way. Psalm, the psalmist talks about children as, as arrows in a quiver. It's a fascinating idea if you think about it. Because what, what the psalmist is saying is, why did you have an arrow? What was the purpose of an arrow? To shoot something, right? So what did that mean? You had to let it go. The whole purpose of your calving your children is to prepare them to let them go. And I see so many parents that their ideas, oh, I don't want them to grow up. No, I want them to grow up. And I want them to get out on their own. I want them to be productive adults. That's my goal as a parent, is to help them to get from A to B. Not to go, oh, they're so dependent on me. That's not good parenting. That's not biblical parenting. Because the idea is to get them to be able to be on their own. And Paul says, look, it's this idea of you have to instruct them. Because if you haven't figured it out yet, life is hard. And life is not going to do them any favors or cut them any corners. So you need to prepare them for a very difficult, hard, cruel, realistic world. And I think some of the things that we're doing today are counterproductive towards doing that. We're going to talk about those in a second. So, let's talk about practical application, things that we can apply this week. Kids, hear me. Hear me, hear me, hear me. You either learn to listen to authority, or you have a very difficult road ahead of you. It's that simple. I understand in your vast, incredible 16 years of knowledge, how brilliant you are. And I understand how silly and outdated your parents are. Because, I mean, they can't even work their phone. They have to depend on you to work their phone. So I understand that you have so much more knowledge than they do. But time out. Can I just suggest something to you? I tell kids in chapel this all the time. If you have acquired in 16 years that much knowledge, can you imagine somebody who's lived three of your lifetimes? Because that's what I got on you. I got three of your lifetimes. And by the way, for the first five years of your 16 vast years of experience, you couldn't even write your name. You need to give credit to people who are older than you that they just might know stuff about life you don't. And the sooner you realize that God has put authority over you to protect you, and when you stay under their authority, you are protected, the sooner you can acknowledge and realize that, the smoother your life will be. But after all, if you've got it all under control and you have all that knowledge and you've got it all figured out, then go ahead. Just abandon it. But but don't be surprised when life gets hard. And don't be surprised when you're going, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. Help me, help me, help me, help me. You know what? Here's the crazy thing. Parents are willing to help you. But here's the thing you better remember. Choices have consequences. Your parents may help you, but doesn't undo consequences. So my challenge to you kids, teenagers in particular, you need to learn to deal with authority in the right way. 
Because obeying and honoring your parents is the foundation for honoring and obeying any authority God puts over you. Because if you can't do it with your parents, you won't be able to do it with your boss. You won't be able to do it when a police officer pulls you over for speeding. You'll have an attitude, and that'll just make it worse. You know, an officer pulls you over, and some of you have never had that experience. Some of us have had that experience. When an officer pulls you over, if you start with the attitude of, you know, do, do you know why I pulled you over? No, I don't know why you pulled me over, and I just can't believe you pulled me over. Kids are going, why'd you do that? I'm old. Um, why? Because you've learned how to respect and respond to authority in the way you respect and honor and obey your parents. That's why it's so important. Okay? Let me talk to dads and, and parents in particular. My wife and I have had a front row seat to this good and bad for a lot of years. My wife dealing with littler kids, me dealing with teenagers. My wife and I went out to, we went to a movie, finally got a decent movie, finally uh, went to a decent movie on Friday, um, and then we went out to eat, and we were talking, and, you know, we were talking about what we deal with in our worlds, and um, I told her, you know, I was going to talk about parenting, and I have a whole set of things that I was going to talk about, but this morning I'm going to change it all up, and I'm just going to try to abbreviate it down to a couple of things that we have observed. So I'm going to share with you something that I've observed. I'm going to share something my wife has observed. And then some things just in general. But if there's one, one principle that I could drive home into the heart of every dad and of every parent here, here it is. When you undermine any authority in the life of your child, you have undermined your own authority. Let me say it again. When you undermine any, and I emphasize any, A-N-Y, that means all, authority in the life of your child, you have undermined your own authority. Because you see, kids don't make the distinction between, oh, I don't have to listen to them, and I can listen to them. And I, kids see authority as authority. It's one big concept to them. And if you, in front of your child, undermine the authority of an adult who has authority over them, you have chipped away at your own because it is just a matter of time before your kids use the same rationale you used to not follow you. Okay? So I'm going to get really specific now, and some of you are going to get really uncomfortable. Don't poke each other. Okay? Don't. Don't go, okay, I'm going to remember where this is in a message so I can send it to my spouse or whatever else, play it over and over again. When you undermine the authority of a teacher in the life of your child, you have undermined your own authority. When your kid comes home griping and complaining about that teacher and you side with your child, you have just hurt your relationship regarding authority in the life of your child. 
Because what you've said is, I don't agree with them. They're wrong. That's right. Yeah, you should do that. And you throw your little two cents in and going, okay, good. Now my, my child's going to know that I'm on their corner and I'm doing this for them and I'm doing all that. You need to understand that it's just going to be a matter of time before your kid looks at you and goes, you know what? I don't think my parents do them. I think they're wronger. So you know what? I'm not going to listen to them. Because you've told them authority If you don't like authority, or if you don't like what authority is doing, you don't have to do it. In fact, I'll go fight for you, so you don't have to do it. And you have chipped away at that foundation. So don't be surprised when all of a sudden that sweet little kid, who you're buddy-buddy with, all of a sudden turns on you like some shark in some blood-infested water and starts attacking you and goes completely the other direction because... You have hurt yourself when you allowed them. You know, and I have parents that they come in. I, my wife has had parents who actually have come into, into classrooms. She's, she's a lead teacher in elementary. Has had people come into classrooms and chew teachers out, not only in front of their own kid, but in front of other kids. That's insane. You've got a problem with a teacher, you make a private appointment, you one-on-one talk to that teacher, and you never let that kid know that conversation ever existed. Because you are chipping away at your own foundation. Don't be surprised if that kid turns on you. Because that's what happens. You have hurt the... Don't be surprised when they get in trouble with the law and it was some simple thing, but because of the way they reacted to it, because they learned that from you, all of a sudden now it got really bad and really deep and really ugly. Those of you who attend sporting events... And you think it's so cool to stand up and yell at that umpire or that referee or that judge or whoever it is. My kid knows I'm in their corner. How dare you? You're standing up and you're acting like a loony bin. Don't be surprised when your kid says, I think you and dad made the wrong call, so I'm not going to listen to you either. You're teaching them how to handle authority. And by the way, this gets real personal for me. Because you see, for years, my dad was a football referee for high school games and a basketball referee for high school games. So when I sat in the stands and heard somebody screaming at the referees and the umpires and the people on the field, that was my dad they were talking about. It may be somebody's husband or somebody's wife. And when you tear down the authority of that person who has stepped onto a field and say, or a court, or a wrestling mat, or whatever it is, and has passed a test that in all candor you probably couldn't pass. You just think you know a lot about the game. And you've never been in the situation to have to make an instant split decision from one vantage point. Not sitting up saying, looking at the whole thing. No, no, no. You're sitting there and this person, you're watching this happen right here in front of you. And you can't see all this other stuff. And you have to make a call to have some parent stand in the stands and second guess everything you do or think that you have a, you have a grudge against their kid. Newsflash. Your kid ain't that important to that umpire and that referee. They're there to do a job to the best of their ability from the vantage point that they have. And who are you to second-guess them? All you're doing is undermining your authority as a mom or a dad. 
in the life of that child. So don't be surprised when that kid turns on you. I can't stress this enough, but there's one thing I would instill in parents. It's this concept. And again, my mom was a substitute teacher. So I grew up in a home with teachers. And my wife is a teacher. And my daughter-in-law is a teacher. And here's the thing. If you'd get out of their way, they could do a far better job. But we have these parents who are so over just, they call them helicopter parents. I don't even think it's helicopter parents. I think it's bubble parents where they want to live in the bubble of their child. And they're just so intense. And everything is like it's the NBA championship playoff game. You know, I judge speech for the state of Iowa. This week I'm judging speech content. You know who bothers me? You know, that I never had problem with the kids that I judge. It's the adults. It's the coaches. How dare you say that about... You know how hard they practice? Well, I'm sorry, but it just wasn't good. You know? They didn't practice more. Well, you ought to to build them up. I'm not going to build them up if they're bad. I'm not helping them. I'm going to give them constructive criticism so that they can do better. I'm going to tell them where they did well, and usually I try to do two pros for every con. Two positive things for it. And often I'll look, at a, I'll look at a coach or I'll look at a parent and say, did you look at all the other stuff we said? No, they focus on that one thing. And for those of you who are so, you, you love jumping up and yelling and hollering and screaming at games and activities and everything else, here's what I would say to you. Go get your license, go do the job, and I guarantee you, you will stop being that aggressive. I guarantee you. It's different from that vantage point. And when we talk about submitting to one another, we're talking about looking at it from somebody else's perspective. Okay? Second issue. This is from my wife. Choices have consequences. We watch parents all the time try to undo the consequences of bad choices and run interference. Because, and by the way, statistics bear this out. We have a whole generation of kids who are afraid to fail because we've never let them experience failure. We've always been a cushion. And they get out in the real world and they start to fail. I'm hearing this from business people. They get a performance review. And if you know anything about good performance reviews, there's always something to improve on. And you can give them 20 things that they did well. You give them one thing that they're doing poorly and need to prove on, they feel like they've, oh, no, you know, I, you know how dare they say that to me? I mean, there are situations where people are actually asking their parents to come to interviews with them. Are you kidding me? And we brought up a generation of kids where we, we, we buffered the choices. And it's crazy. And we don't ask anything hard of our children anymore. We try to find the easiest way for them. The class is too hard? Change it. The teacher's too strict? Change it. You got a boss at work that's too hard for you? Change departments. And it's your job as a parent to prepare them for life. And those are and so here's what I would say: the older your child is, the more you ought to apply stuff to real life stuff. And that becomes very, very important. Um, the older they get. I'll give you a couple examples. Um, young and old. My wife actually had a parent come to her. Here's what happened. This kid, I don't know, third, fourth, fifth grade, somewhere in there. Uh, wanted a pop or something from the machine. 
at school. All he had was $5, and it wouldn't, the machine wouldn't take it. Some little kid standing right there. And he says, do you have, any, do you have change for five? No, I don't have change for five. All I've got is like four or five quarters. This kid goes, hey, I'll give you my $5 for your five quarters. Now, if you're a kid, knowing the value of money, what do you say? There's an entrepreneur. There's somebody who's going somewhere in life. And the kid goes, okay, sure. Here's my four quarters or five quarters or whatever it is. Give me your five. They take the five. Then the kid goes home and goes, I was at school today, and I was hungry, and I needed something on a machine, and I didn't have any money, and you know what? And, 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 and so I, this person took my $5 and only gave me five quarters back. And the mom, dad, whoever it was, calls my wife to complain. Something you don't know about my wife is she don't play. And my, parent, my wife said to this mom, now wait a minute, I had your child in kindergarten. In kindergarten, we learned the value of pennies, dimes, nickels, and quarters. Your child knew that was a bad deal. And if your child wanted that item so bad that they were willing to make that bad deal, then you know what? I'm not going to call that other parent. You need to deal with your child and teach your child the value of $5. You have to teach this to parents? Really? Where are we? And if you have older kids, listen, you need to understand. Why is it your problem? Make it their problem. Do you know that I raised two teenagers and I never once drove to school and brought something they forgot from home? You know why? Wasn't my problem. And they knew if they called and said, hey, Dad, I left this paper at home and it's due today and I'm going to get a zero on it. If I don't turn it in, can you bring it? That my answer would be, got a zero, buddy. Learn to bring your stuff to school. I tell teenagers this. They don't like this. I tell teenagers if they can't get themselves out of bed, they shouldn't have a driver's license. And parents ought to take it away. I mean, come on. If you don't have enough motivation to get your carcass out of bed in the morning, why should I give you a ten, twenty thousand $20,000 vehicle that travels at 55 mile an hour that's a speeding bullet towards other vehicles that are less than 15 feet away? Who's the fool there? I'm going to give you that responsibility, but you can't get your carcass out of bed in the morning? Come on. My son came to me, Josh. I don't like using my kids, but you know they're my illustration. They decided to come to church here, so that's their <laughs> hang-up. Um, you got to understand this about Josh. Josh is incredibly driven. If, if Josh knows that he takes a class and 100% is an A-plus, but the, there's 105 credits in the class. Josh is going for the 105, not the 100. That's Josh. It's always been Josh. He, I don't know where he gets it from, but that's Josh. So Josh, when he was in high school, was driven to get a 4.0 in high school. 
And we sat down with, John, with both of our kids. We tried to figure out what they wanted to do and help them steer them in careers and make some decisions earlier in, in high school that, that would help them prepare for that. And um, Josh thought he wanted to go into the medical world, and so the school that he was at, Woodbury Central, he had, they had a teacher there who taught some, some uh, medical stuff. And um, the teacher stood up, and so Josh wanted to sign up for his class. Josh signed up for his class, and the first week in class, the teacher stood up and said, you need to understand this. I don't believe that anyone can do, what was it, was it EMT course or what? Yeah, EMT course, Chartier, um, which I had tremendous respect for. But he stood up in class and he said, you need to understand, I don't believe that in the EMT world you can always do it perfectly right every time, so therefore, no one in this class will get an A. The best you can do in this class is an A-. Now, he's a teacher, it's his class, he can do it however he wants, it was college credit and everything else. Josh came home and said, Dad, what do I do? I said, you got a choice to make. Is the class and what you're going to learn in the class more important than the GPA? Was the GPA more important than the class? I wasn't going to go and try to change his mind. You go, well, I think that's unreasonable. It doesn't matter. He's a teacher. Well, how could you do that to a kid? That's his role. He's taught for a long time. He's allowed to do that. And Josh sat down, we had a long discussion, and Josh said, you know what, I'm going to take the class. Guess what? He didn't graduate high school with 4.0. Got an A minus in class. Did you go in and complain? No. Why? Choices have consequences. The class was more important. Why? Because I knew that in life, he was going to have to make hard choices. Unreasonable? Doesn't matter. The choice is the choice. And I, I share that because I think it's so important that we understand that, look, as those kids, my kids would come home, they worked at Best Buy. Both of my boys ended up working at Best Buy. They'd come home, they'd get a bad boss who was over to the department. They were so-and-so over. They're so unreasonable, and they won't let this, and they won't do this. And, and I want to change departments. And I said, you know what? You can change departments. But I said, you will learn far more if you learn to stay in that bad, underneath that bad boss, because you'll learn a couple things. Number one, you'll learn how to, what a bad boss looks like. I said, so you'll know what not to do. I said, secondly, here's the thing. I said, this thing changes constantly. I said, how many bosses have you had since you worked for there? How many bosses have been in this department? They said, constantly. I said, let me ask this. Is there any guarantee that when you change departments, that boss won't eventually end up in that department? No. I said, so then you're right back to this decision again, aren't you? And I always related everything to life. So I sat down and I said, let me ask you a question here. I said, when you're, a, when you're married and you've got two or three kids... And you're in that job, and you love that job, and you get a bad boss. What are you going to do? I said, see, if you just jump ship right now, you never learned how to handle a bad boss. You're 16, 17 years old. It's easy. It's an easy thing to endure now. You get out in the real world where all of a sudden now your house payment and car payment and everything else is tied to this, this becomes a bigger jump. So why don't you learn what you need to learn to be prepared for real adulthood? Than do that. We did this with our kids. My wife and I, when we got married, we were incredibly in debt with credit cards. And um, it took us a long time to get out of credit card debt. And, and, and we became adamant, passionate things about we were going to teach our kids how to handle credit cards. Back then, you could get a 16-year-old credit card. So we got our kids' credit cards, put it in our name. We said, look, we don't have any problem with credit cards. What we have a problem with is interest. 
So if you're going to have a credit card, you have no interest. That's, that's the rule here. That's the boundary. And by the way, you've got to set boundaries, mom and dad. And kids are going to push boundaries, and that's okay. You know, yesterday we put up, we were building a wall over Josh's house. The second we put it up, we pushed on it to see whether or not it would give. And we had to do a half wall, and it was a little flimsy, so we reinforced it. Expect, you know, I get parents who, you know, kids push on the wall. It's like, oh, no, I've got to be easier on them. No, you don't. You've got to be the parent. And so we were trying to teach our kids about money and about, about credit and about interest. And so every month, Jean would sit down with the boys, and she'd say, okay, let's go through your bills, and let's write all the checks. And we had a deal one day where Jimmy, it was January, I remember that. He got a little crazy at Christmas. And um, he didn't have money to pay the bill. And he goes, Mom, I'm getting paid next week. Would you please just let me, just let me borrow the money for like five days, six days, and we'll be okay. Now, I want you to ask yourself what you would do at this point. Because we had a boundary. And we're trying to think choices have consequences. And we're, we're thinking about all this. So my wife looked at him and said, no. What do you have to sell? He had just purchased for a girlfriend a beautiful necklace and earrings for, to give to her on Valentine's Day. He got it at Whitehall when they were going out of business, so it's like this $300 set. He got it for like 7500 bucks or whatever it was. This very dumb girl broke up before Valentine's Day. <laughs> so now he had no one to give it to. And it was gorgeous. And my wife said, you know, you have that earring and necklace upstairs. I'll buy that from you. And he said, okay. Put the check. Why? Choices of consequences. Because in the adult world, what happens when you can't pay the bills? You go sell something. I could work more hours. This is the kind of parenting I'm talking about. Oh, well, my kid won't like me. Well, get over that. Get over that because you know what? You're the only, you're the parents that God put over these children, and it's your responsibility to instruct them and to discipline them and prepare them for a world that you're about to release them into that is cruel and harsh and doesn't, is not on their side. And our job is to prepare them for that kind of world. And, and, and I stress this to say, look, we have to be careful with this. And my wife has seen this over and over again with your kids, with little kids. Choices have consequences. Choices have consequences. When you soften the, cons- when you soften the consequences, you make the choice easier for them to, to, to go by the wayside with. Because if you haven't figured it out yet, the world out there will not soften the consequences for them. So prepare them for that. Because right now, you're their safety net to help them work through it. And that's our goal as parents, the discipline and instruction. I can't stress this enough. Set boundaries for your kids and don't move them. And here's what's crazy. You set boundaries for your animals, don't you? Don't you have an area that they're only allowed in, a fenced-in area? How many of you guys raising cattle just go, you know what, I think fences are silly. I want my cattle to be free to go wherever they want to go. 
You don't have a problem with your cattle wanting to be free and going wherever they want to go. You have a problem keeping them in. And what are you constantly doing as a farmer? Fixing fences. Making sure they're strong. Making sure they're secure. Why? Because that keeps your animals safe. It protects you. You make sure then that you're protected with liability. You make sure your animals are protected. And yet we come to our kids and we go, oh, I don't want to set up too many boundaries. Now, I don't believe you ought to have a lot of boundaries personally. My principle was this. If God can create the world and rule the world with 10, 10 principles, 10 commandments, why do we need 30 as a parent? You set them. You make sure they're clear. You make sure they're biblical. You make sure the kids understand them. You make sure the kids understand choices have consequences. And you know what? You don't budge the boundaries. I mean, it got to the point that at one point when my kids, when they got in trouble, I could walk into the room and say, okay, did you do this? Yes. What was the consequence of you doing this? This. You lost the car keys, right? Yeah. Okay, here. You know I love you? Yep. Good. We're good. That was it. That was the whole discussion. Get these back in two days or a week or whatever else, and we're good to go. I always made sure. You know I love you. Yeah. I'm not doing this yet. Choices have consequences. This is life. This is the way it works in the real world. The moms and dads are what we have to do. Now that I've been really hard on moms and dads, let me say this. And we're going to talk about this in two weeks. This is a spiritual battle. And it is hard to be a parent. It is not for the faint of heart. And it is tough. And you need to understand this. Satan wants your kids. And Satan unloads every day on your kids. It is your job and my job to protect them, to help them, to get them ready for a real world. I personally don't think you can do it on your own. One of the things that helped my wife and I was this. We always had mentors in our lives. We always had somebody that had people that were at the next area of life that we were going to. So when we had, when we had infants, we got around people that had preschool and kindergartners, and we learned from them. When we, had kindergartners, when we had kindergartners, we got to people who had elementary kids. When we got to elementary, we had kids who had junior higher, senior high kids, college kids, young married kids. When I found out we were going to be a grandparent, I, I, I brought some people into my life who I thought were great-grandparents. And I said, I want to know what you do. I want to know why you do. I want to know how you develop. Because one guy in particular... I looked at him and I thought, I want my granddaughter to look at me the way your granddaughter looks at you. Tell me what you did. He gave me some great advice. Because I have had, and I have to say, I was fortunate in that I had around my children adults who could model and who could reinforce the things that I'm teaching my kids. And I think as a parent, that is so essential for you to be able to do your job effectively is to have those people. And that really helped us. And I had one point in which I had one situation where I just couldn't get through to my kids and I was able to go to, it was actually another guy in this congregation. And I was able to go to him and say, look, I can't get through to him right now, but I know you have a great relationship with him. Will you talk to him? And I was able to talk to him and get through to him at a level I could not. And so I look at it as, and I, I, I know the source of this, so I know you, some of you cringe when I say this, it does take a village. Okay, it does. And we're in this together. And I don't have a lot of patience for parents who want to shoot each other and attack each other. 
and tear each other down because of the way they're parenting. Okay? We submit to one another. We encourage one another. We help one another. And this parenting thing is hard. And for those of you who don't have children, for those of you who maybe your kids are away or whatever else, you need to understand, I expect you, and the Bible expects you, to do what you can to impact the children that God puts into our trust as a church. I expect you to be teaching them a children's sermon in Sunday school. I expect you to know the names of some of these kids so you can say hi to them and you can encourage them before and after church. And I know there's people who have developed those kinds of relationships with the kids, and that is so, so, so important. I, I don't want to embarrass them, but, but I've noticed this. They require all of the teenage boys to come into church and hug them. And if the boys don't, they seek them out. Right or wrong? You guys like it, don't you? Yes, you do. And they do it reluctantly. Okay, let's get it over with. I've watched these guys walk in looking for that person. Because we're in it together. We're in it together. Satan wants our kids. Let's not make it easier for him. And let's do what we need to do. Together as a church family. So I end this morning with this. And I know, you may not like it, but you know... If it's a truth, we have to deal with it, okay? Parenting is tough, and it's not a job for the weak. Paul reminds children to obey and honor their parents. He reminds fathers and parents that they must set boundaries and provide instruction to prepare their kids for the real world of being an adult. We choose our battles carefully, and we model what we expect. Our goal is to prepare our children to live godly lives in an ungodly world. And we want our children to be lights in a world of darkness. That's our task. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Lord, we got kids that don't want to listen. God, only you can work in their heart. We can just do what we need to do. Father, we have kids who want to do what's right and honor their parents and continue to work in their lives and help them to understand this principle of life goes so much easier that way. Lord, for parents here who are trying to do what's right, encourage them. Lord, may they come along, find people and come alongside of them and help them and encourage them and guide them and direct them. Lord, for parents who are struggling here or somewhere along the way they've lost the significance and the importance, the boundaries, of setting an example of undermining authority. Lord, help us not to do it. And uh, may we hold each other accountable to be the type of people you've designed for us to be. These things we ask in your name. Amen. Um, let's stand. We're going to sing the first.